Hi folks, this week I learned something new. We talk about Sheltered Harbor Certification, which is a framework for financial institutions to make sure that they can recover after a cyber attack. I think there's a lot to learn for all of us, not just financial institutions. Hope you enjoy the episode. You could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my dust collector consultant, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. I do have to let you know I have a pretty bad allergy to dust, so I may not be so the that, right person. No, that, that makes you the perfect, but... but, but but I have to say you're not doing a very good job because I keep buying and buying the wrong. Like I got to connect this to that and the thing with the thing. Cause you know, got, you, yeah, you know what, what you really need to do. So for the listeners, this is Curtis is has his wood shop up and running. He has a bunch of tools, which produce a lot of dust and therefore he's trying to build like a dust collection system to yeah. spare me from dying. So um, one of the things though, is like each one has a different size adapter. Some are one and a half inches. Some are two inches. One and a quarter. And one and a quarter. Some, two and a half. Yeah. Four. Uh, and and then yeah. non-standard and, sizes. There's also non-standard yep. sizes. Yeah. Yeah. So what you need to do, Curtis, and I think this will help you a lot, is you need to draw a picture on a piece of paper mm-hmm. with your various equipment pieces, with the size of those, so then you can figure out what you need or what you have. Yeah. The you Planning. Know, what's that? <laughs> Planning. planning yeah well it's not just that like i recently found out that D- dewalt makes on purpose makes non-standard sized <laughs> dust ports on some of their machines because they sell a dust collection system and so they're like well it works with the dewalt dust collection system right which i don't even see for sale anywhere i'm sure it is for sale somewhere but so like half of my tools have standard size ports, although they're not all the same size. And then mm-hmm. some of my tools, like the table saw and the the sander, has a total non-standard mm-hmm. uh, yeah. port. Um, and so this is what is is apparently this is a problem being solved by 3D printers and Etsy. <laughs> so it's yeah. people. Oh, I could totally are, see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little cottage industry of people selling, you know, the thing to the thing. Um, you know what? You should get into this business, Curtis. I bet you can get a 3D scanner, right? 3D printer? 3D scan. 3D printer? No, no, no. Oh, First, 3... you need a 3D scanner. Oh, Lord. So you can scan the dust port collectors, right, that you mm-hmm. have already. And then you use that to build the adapters. You know what I do is I go down to Lowe's and, and you know, use a caliper. Can't you just use a caliper? Right. Um, yeah, I think I could make it happen, but yeah, uh, this is a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so these are the problems that I have with my expensive, my new expensive hobby. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, our, our guest that, uh, we're having on, he's a, he's a repeat guest. And last time we were talking, you know, we had him on the podcast. He threw out this phrase and you know we were immediately like what what is, what is that what is that thing and so we decided to have him back uh just to talk about that we'll talk about that in a minute he's been in the industry for over 30 years um and um he is now the enterprise architect at presidio network solutions welcome to the podcast eric bursley all right <laughs> Thank you, Curtis, and thank you, Persona. So what? Glad to have you back. (laughs) Yeah, so this little phrase that you threw out was this sheltered harbor certification, which, you know, I I think you threw a little shade at me saying that, you know, you were a little surprised that uh, Mr. Backup didn't know about (laughs) this this backup-centric thing. Uh, So why why don't we back up a little bit and, and sort of set the stage in terms of what, you know, I always want to know how, you know, how did we get here? Um, so first up, maybe let's do a real quick, like a, you know, a, 
20-second overview of what Sheltered Harbor certification is. Right. So Sheltered Harbor certification is a, first of all, Sheltered Harbor is a nonprofit organization. It is an independent organization that provides um, a financial institution with an assurance that they can provide back to their users, their customers, that their data is resilient against a ransomware attack. So um, with that, it's supposed to um, provide them with more confidence that if something happens to my bank through a ransomware attack, what data I had available to me yesterday will be available to me once they recover, typically within 24 hours. And because it's sheltered harbor certification, I'm guessing, do they actually own the data and the processes and everything else? Or are they just sort of like NIST or some of these other organizations where they're like, hey, here are the standards, here's like the best practices, here are the things you should be following in order to be able to do. It's kind of like how if you're doing credit card transaction, right, you have to do like PCI certification, right, right, in order to be able to handle credit cards. Is that kind of how this is? So yeah, Sheltered Harbor is more of a framework um, in place. They make some recommendations um, that if followed, um, you can apply for certification. And if you follow their framework um, strictly, they would be able to provide you with that certification saying that, yes, you are good um, and that um, you can uh, put our name on your website that your data is going to be safe. Um, So it is a framework. And that is when you say that you can get that certification, is that a customer like a bank in your example or is that like a vendor who provides the service? It's typically the the bank gets the certification. The bank is applying for the certification. Um, Now, in order to achieve that certification, the bank has to have certain things already in place. Um, The first of which is a data vault for their backup data. Um, So, you know, following the traditional three, two, one rule, um, that offsite copy would be an immutable copy that is operationally air-gapped um, and also scanned for any vulnerabilities so that you would be able to determine a specific point in which you are clean to restore um, into an integrated recovery environment or an IRE. Um, so it's a set of processes. It's not just, I have tape which tape is traditionally immutable, um, but I'm also actively scanning my data vault that is immutable so that I know which restore points I can restore to. So, uh, yeah, so so a lot of questions that come up there. So the first (laughs) would be, what is it about banks that make them want to be to, to, to achieve a certification like this? What, you know, why isn't this just for everybody? Well, the, the process could be applied for everybody, um, but Sheltered Harbor is focusing on the financial industry in particular, um, mostly because if we don't have access to our money, we can't do anything. Um, so right. that was their primary target around this, but the process that they have, it's solid for all industries and and Presidio recommends this for all industries as well. Um, In in one of my feature workshops, I talk about um, data immutability and that that uh, third copy of your data, that offsite copy should be in a separate authentication domain so that it is protected against any sort of credential compromise that it's immutable but it sheltered Harbor adds on to that and says, it's also verifiable that you know when to restore and how are you going to restore into a, a disaster recovery environment? Interesting. So yeah, like Curtis said, I have a ton of questions just like popping up in my head right now. Um, you talked about one aspect I want to go back to is like that operational air gap 
Yes. Right. And sort of how do they define that? Because I know I've heard about, okay, strict air gap where it's like physical isolation completely. Sometimes we talk about virtual air gaps. Is operational air gap different in some way or has some unique characteristics? So one of the unique characteristics is that it's typically firewalled off from the production environment, um, typically through some natted firewall that allows from the protective environment outbound to pull the data back in to the environment. So it's not a, it's never a push uh, environment from production into the backup because that has a potential for compromise. But if it's a pull in the environment that is schedulable, no firewall ports need to be opened up at any time from production in because it's an outbound connection and it's able to log in to the production environment and through that process, pull in a specific restore point, scanning it in the process for known vulnerabilities and then continually scanning it in the future for future vulnerabilities. Gotcha. And when you talk about the pull mechanism, that totally makes sense. When it lands in the vault, is it sort of in an isolated spot? Like, I'm just wondering in my head, like, it's kind of like you want to make sure whatever's in the vault is sort of valid, has been verified, that there are no compromises in it. And you can't necessarily trust the production not to have any, because you don't know what the state is there. And so I guess when you're transferring the data, are you sort of transferring it into an isolated bucket inside of the vault that then gets scanned and verified before it's sort of marked as verified and valid. So nothing bad can happen of that copy. So it is a continual process. The initial pull is scanned uh, Mm -hmm. against the current known vulnerabilities using machine learning or artificial intelligence, but then future restore points are also scanned at those points, but it's also scanned during a recovery operation, which it's critical to have that integrated recovery environment that's separate from production. Yep. Okay. Um, And through that integrated recovery environment, again, it's network isolated from production. You can actually determine a safe point to bring things back up. You may be able to have um, a, a particular application server restored to point B but then pull clean data in from production to bring it more current. So it just provides you that specific point that you can be assured that you are safe. Yeah, you know, this brings up a a topic that I've been looking at a lot lately, which is if we're going to, um, because it's one thing, I don't know, there's a lot of things going on in my head, all right? So, you know, I I hear you talking about pre-scan and post-scan, and that all sounds great. Um, I'm going to throw out a little shade and say, if the pre-scan of the backup finds the ransomware, why didn't, like, some regular virus scanning tool find it already? I don't I, I don't I don't know why that why one would work and the other would not work. Um, but I'm not saying it's not a good idea to do it. I'm just it's just that popped right. up in my head. Um, well, that, that speaks to the maturity model of the organization's security infrastructure. Mm. Some organizations don't have a SIM in place. They don't have a current um, antivirus that it includes um, artificial or AI and yeah. all into yeah. those technologies. So based on the NIST framework, they're not preventing the infection from coming in and it's up to the recovery process of the NIST framework to bring you back. Preferably it is a multi-phased approach like NIST calls for. Yeah. It's just that, you know, as big of a fan as I am of backup, if you're relying on your backup system to let you know, you got a virus or malware of any kind, Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, I, yeah, but I, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm just saying I'm not sure I agree with that plan. Um, but there's been a thought that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And, and, and it comes from the fact that we know, based on the stuff that's been published, that the average dwell time or the mean dwell time of malware 
is well over 60 days. So if, if the malware has been in your environment for, for a long time, and, and maybe it hasn't deployed, maybe it hasn't done anything, maybe it hasn't um, um, you know, encrypted any data, and then it doesn't generally wreak havoc until it starts encrypting data. Um, and, but you, meanwhile, you've probably created weeks and weeks and weeks of backups of the machine with the malware still on it, which you didn't notice, right? Uh, you can scan all you want. Some of the stuff isn't noticeable or, or, you know, it's easy once you find it, right? Once you find it, you get the signature <laughs> and then you can, um, right. You can, then you can scan for that specific signature, but a general scan doesn't necessarily pick it up. So then my question is, well, what does an organization to do? And, you know, what would be my recommendation? Um, you know, and of course, then they're, they're free to do whatever they want. I know some people have talked about, well, I need to restore from before I even got infected. That is an option. But to me, that if, if the dwell time is 60 days, or, or it could be it could be as much as 120 days from what I've seen. Um, right. That doesn't seem like a viable option to me <clears throat> to start from a greenfield, restore the the VM image from 121 days ago, and then somehow bring in right because um, it just it gets and, you, and then you look at the um, the complications involved with. Um, all of the um, different ways in which we have OSs and non-OSs, you know, things like containers um, right. and applications. And we have VMs and we have physical servers and on-premise VMs, on uh, cloud-based VMs. This is just like deciding that, making that decision. Um, it just seems really uh, a difficult one that I think environments have to decide. I don't know. There, was, there was no question anywhere in that. <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, should I tell Curtis he's on a rant? Right. So I'm on a rant. That, that's essentially where a partner like Presidio can come in. We can help advise um, specifically leveraging a tool that um, I helped produce called a ransomware workshop. It is a free offering that we offer our clients two and a half hours of discussion with one of our cybersecurity analysts, a data center analyst, which focuses on primary storage and backup recovery solutions and working with a C-level as well as the engineers at a specific customer, identify potential problems such as you don't have a SIM in place. You don't have a current antivirus solution in place such as CrowdStrike or Cyber Reason. Um, you don't have a, a good initial protection of that. And then, you know, from a backup recovery standpoint, what are you using? How are you backing up your data? Are you following the three, two, one rule? Do you have an operationally air gapped vault for that offsite copy? Those are the questions that we bring up and then we can help address some of those problems over time, whether it's a financial customer or not, okay? This is offered to everybody. Um, and then once we understand the direction you need to go with that vision um, that we provide, um, we can then start ch chipping away at those questions that you have. Um, and we do that as an agnostic type of service. So um, outside of the vendors, we may bring up vendors in the conversation but we're trying to solve that business uh, problem and then aligning those requirements to a technology vendor. I think having that process, that approach totally makes sense. And just going back to Curtis's rant, quote unquote rant, right? I think, honestly, it's going to depend, right? I don't think you can say that we will always go back 121 days or the right. best option is always yeah. to go pick the latest copy, right? I think it is going to depend on the value of the data, how long it takes to recover, the importance of that application, right? All of these things. And I think it's sort of a recovery time, right? And hopefully you've already planned this ahead of time, right? And you know, okay, this is the importance of this data, but it's sort of one of those things that at recovery time, you execute your plan in your runbook 
that you have? Yeah, I think it was a rant because I see a lot of people talking about, well, we're just going to skip, you know, we, we are, we have backup software that will, you know, we, we can identify the, the hash. We can give the hash to the backup product. It can scan for that. You know, we know where the malware is and then we'll just restore from before the malware hit. And, and I just want to say, um, 221 days ago, that that's what, yeah. that's why I just, it, it, you're right. It's not simple. Um, it, it's not simple. And, and I think Eric had brought it up earlier as, yeah, Go ahead, Eric. you don't necessarily have to restore to 120 days ago. You can restore from the latest copy of just the data that is clean. Okay. Um, not everything on the system is encrypted. So you need to pull the data prior to the full encryption that ransomware is going to deploy. That is right. a point. Then you can start saying, okay, how did it get in? Looking for the executable in that environment and then removing it or deactivating it. And it's critical to look not just for static files, but also um, shellless or I should say um, <laughs> scriptless sort of um, vulnerabilities because they're able to actually execute some of these processes in memory without writing anything out to disk. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is when you're also doing that recovery, sort of doing it in an isolated fashion, right? Where well, maybe you don't have that network connectivity, right? So they can't call out to their CNC servers, right? Their right. command and control servers and get additional information and kickstart things. Exactly. And there are OEMs that offer these types of solutions and, and Presidio can recommend them all. And these are not a limited list of solutions either, um, but they're... Um, solutions that can become safe harbor certified when deployed. Um, they're not in itself guaranteeing safe harbor. You still have to implement them right. You still have to create your run books um, and any sort of automation around it. Um, but they definitely give you a leg up uh, around achieving that certification. And when you get that certification, that's for a point in time, right? Is there sort of audits done? Things you have to show, like as your environment changes, as things happen to right. keep up to date, or is it sort of a one and done thing? You do have to get recertified um, over time. Um, this is because policies do change. Recommendations do change. Um, technologies do change. You know, containers, for example, um, how are you protecting your container workload? It's regardless of what the original intent of immutable containers are, are people are persi persisting data in their containers. How are you protecting those, the data as well as the ecosystem of your Kubernetes or your Docker uh, automation system that goes into it? There are strategies around that. I'm going to take Curtis's favorite question that he loves to ask in topic, actually, <laughs> which is, does Safe Harbor certification talk anything about SaaS applications? It is. <clears throat> I would say that it doesn't necessarily um, dictate one way or the other. It does say that you are protecting your data in this fashion. So if you're using a SaaS uh, provider such as Microsoft 365, are you backing it up? And then are you storing that data in a vault um, and that you can actually do an operational recovery on? You know, same, same thing with salesforce.com. They just started implementing backup through their API for salesforce.com. Are you protecting that data, storing it in a vault? And that becomes that, that you know, sort of, that pattern, yeah. That, that pattern. So they're not dictating SaaS. They're not dictating on-prem. They're not dictating yeah. cloud. What they are saying is that you have a copy of your data in a vault that is yeah. operationally air-gapped. Gotcha. Yeah, I was referring also mainly to like SaaS applications, but you covered it, Eric. Like Microsoft 365, because a lot of times, right? People are and Curtis. You and I hear this all the time. It's like, right. hey, Microsoft 365. There's no need to back it up, right? And I know that's. One right. of uh, Curtis's big pet peeves. <laughs> it, it's one of mine too. I hear it a lot. Um, every one of my customers are not backing up their Microsoft 365 environment. 
and I advise them that they should. And then I describe the differences between archive, which they do provide, any true backup solution, which they don't provide. So um, I, I should probably take notes so that I can keep track of it because my <laughs> questions are coming in various in various ways. But the one that's in my head right now, so I know that you have this, this concept of um, uh, Alliance Partners, and I do see, you know, a couple of companies on there, obviously, that I recognize. There's only one that says endorsed, um, and I'm, and it's Dell, uh, and it says uh, they they can help your financial institution expedite sheltered harbor data protection certification with in the long name the first turnkey data vaulting solution to receive endorsement for meeting all of the requirements of the sheltered harbor standard. That's interesting. So there was there, there was some sort of process that they went through to satisfy someone at Sheltered Harbor enough that they can say this solution meets all of the requirements. Um, and and because the, there are other companies, right, that are on there listed as alliance partners that would be competitors of Dell. Um, and, and by the way, before we continue a little bit farther, I'm just, I forgot to throw out our disclaimer. Uh, I work for Driva, Persona works for Zoom. And uh, although we're talking about very, you know, stuff right up our neighborhood, this is an independent podcast and the opinions that you hear are ours. And uh, if you want to join the conversation, please reach out to me at W. Curtis Preston on Twitter. I'm sorry, W.C. Preston on Twitter or W. Curtis Preston at Gmail and, um, you know, and say, hey, I got stuff to talk about in this neighborhood. Um and uh, also be sure to rate us. Um, just scroll down to the bottom. You're probably listening on Apple Podcasts. Most of you are. Just scroll down to the bottom there. Click click five stars. Heck, give us six stars. I'm fine with that. And uh, give us a comment. We love that. Um, so, yeah. So I see that, like, some companies are, are listed as alliance partners, but only one is listed as endorsed, which surprised me, honestly. Uh, organizations like this don't tend to endorse it actually uses that word. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, the Dell Cyber Recovery Solution was one of the first to market um, with their solution. It is a very strong solution that is powered by their PowerProtect data domain product mm -hmm. um, that can provide you with an immutable um, solution. Um, the Cyber Recovery Vault, leveraging all of Dell's technology, Dell PowerEdge, Dell Switches, Dell um, partnership with SonicWall Firewall, um, as well as Avamar or Networker or the PowerProtect uh, Data Protection Appliance. Um, it's an all-encompassing solution. So Sheltered Harbor was able to say, if implemented via this process, mm. it gives you that leg up, making it super simple to achieve our certification they were one of the first to market to do that. Um, since um, that happened, we've had this thing called a pandemic that shut down a lot of those processes um, and Sheltered Harbor couldn't go through um, some of the other OEMs um, that wanted to achieve this certification. Um, and one of those processes, uh, like I said, was the ability to pull the data in to the vault rather than pushing it into the vault. Um, with that, um, since the pandemic is nearing at its end, um, other products are becoming um, able to achieve the certification, although they haven't been fully endorsed by Sheltered Harbor yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I think that was why in the beginning I was wondering, Eric, around sort of that certification, right? If it was the customer like the bank or if it was the vendor who was actually getting the certification, right? right? Um, I could see that in the case of Dell, it's like, hey, we have everything packaged together. So it becomes easier for the bank or the customer to just start deploy and use it, right? But that's why I was wondering, like, where it actually ends up being. Right. And yeah, the Sheltered Harbor is granted by the financial institution that is seeking it. Um, there's actually a process that they go through. Yep. They have to register as a client of Sheltered Harbor. And based on how much 
money their institution has, they pay to that specific level. And then they go through that process to validate that they have the solution in place. Um, there are definitely other solutions outside of the cyber recovery vault from Dell that can achieve this. It, it's not just limited to that product. Uh, I, I'm assuming, um, you know, if somebody want, if a, if a financial organization wanted to join, there would be, there's some sort of fee that you need to provide to achieve certification, given that there's going to be a cost involved with somebody. Right. Yes. There is a uh, stair-stepped approach based on the financial holdings that the uh, financial institution has. Um, and that is published on their website. I look at it similar to like when an organization goes through like a SOC 2 audit, right? It's kind of like that, right? You're getting certified that, yes, everything's in place. Everything's good to go with the solutions that you've chosen. Right. Exactly. And this actually would help with the insurance organizations as well, because um, many insurance companies are saying you need to have certain things in place in order to get, you know, us to pay Preferred for rates. an incident, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. To get a rate. If a, a financial institution goes to an insurance provider and say, Hey, we just received this safe Harbor certification. The insurance company can actually come back and say, you've done all these check boxes already. So we're going to give you a lower rate or we're going to offer you a policy where if the financial institution didn't have this, then they would have to go manually check that themselves. So it, it can streamline your insurance process as well. Yeah. It's, it, but do you think it, or, or have you heard that it could also assist in lower rates? Or just that would be up to the insurance process. company, but I would imagine so because it's going to be less likely that you're unable to recover in a timely fashion. That's one of the things that the insurance company wants to do is ensure that you get back to operational effectiveness as soon as possible. Um, get back to business. Achieving this certification can assure you that you would be able to be back up and running within 24 hours. And it's like, like Curtis said at the start of this, right? It was like the first time we had heard about this term, right? And being in the backup space, right? And I'm wondering, like, is it more common? Like, is this a well-known certification in like the financial institutions and in the insurance business? Or is this something new and upcoming that is going to take um, time to achieve critical mass? But it is like a future standard that everyone's looking towards? I would say that it's more of a future standard at this point. I was just talking with a financial customer yesterday. He was unaware of <laughs> Sheltered Harbor. He actually had to go look it up. And then he was extremely intrigued uh, around the framework that it offers. Um, and we're going to have a follow-up conversation um, with him regarding our ransomware workshop that we have so that he can understand the value of, you know, protecting his data more with the data vault um, and how we would implement that so that he can achieve sheltered Harbor. Um, I also gave him a reference of one of my larger financial customers that is currently in the process of getting sheltered Harbor certification so that he can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. Nice. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, when I first heard about it and, you know, just the first few words, my first worry which doesn't appear to be the case. But my first worry was that this was just, even though it's a nonprofit, I mean, anybody can start a nonprofit, that it was just a marketing arm, marketing leg, whatever, you know, that, you know, like, like in this case, it would, I, I would accuse Dell of it since they were the first one to get endorsed, <laughs> right? That Dell went and started this so that they could give themselves certification. I'm not accusing Dell of anything. I'm just saying I was worried that I would, that that's what I would find is that I would find a marketing driven organization. And that does not appear to be the case. It appears that it, this is led by the financial industries or the, the financial institutions and the associations uh, thereof. Does that, does that sound about right? That would be correct, Curtis. Yeah. Um, and the, the worry of what was course, your other worry. Well, well, that, that the worry came from the fact that there is this dual 
certification, right? The certification is for the company, but then there's also this potential endorsement vendor. of the vendors. And uh, so I was worried that this was just a big ruse for the vendors to have a, mm -hmm. to put another badge on their website, but it doesn't appear to be the case. Um, right. Yeah. For Dell to come out and say that they were endorsed, mm -hmm. it is not, you know, checking the box and say you're certified if you have it. You can be certified if you have it, but you also have other processes that you have to implement around your enterprise maturity to ensure that you have this process in place. Dell gives you a leg up with their solution. Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, there are other solutions that can do this as well now. It's just a matter of time before they also get endorsements. Yeah, actually, the fact that the website is kind of a little behind sort of backs up <laughs> the fact that this isn't a marketing-driven thing because <laughs> if this was marketing-driven, this would be up to date with all those other companies, right? Um, and they, they they throw as much money as they need to to, to get it updated. Um, the, go ahead. The, one, the other question I had, though, is... I think this is a great certification. I just feel it's yet another isolated, separate process rather than thinking holistically and integrating into some other existing framework. Uh, to elaborate a bit, right? This is just focused on backup. Can you recover your data, right? Rather than sort of encompassing, okay, do you have the appropriate cybersecurity measures in place? And thinking from, let's start from, or let's look holistically at your environment Make sure you're just not looking at authorization and login in that environment, but also across your entire infrastructure, right? Do you have the right level, sort of the things, Curtis, that we've talked with Snorkel42 about, right? It's, do you have like least privilege set up and do you have those front end cyber monitoring tools to look for malware on production? MFA, and MFA. It seems exactly. like just an MFA, right? It just seems like this is, just such a small portion of things that can go wrong. It's a great effort, no doubt about it, but it just feels a little isolated and siloed, really when people should be thinking more broadly across their entire organization. Well, exactly. And that's where Presidio would talk about the NIST framework so that you can uh, identify, protect, detect, respond, and then recover. In the terms of the NIST framework, this is addressing the recovery operation. Are you able to successfully recover? Um, but I agree with you that they have to have other processes in place and that leads to their enterprise maturity around, do they have the right authorization, authentication systems in place? Are they monitoring? Do they have two-factor authentication? Um, do they have geolocation turned on in their <laughs> Azure AD, for example? Um, how are they protecting their users um, from a user um, education standpoint? Um, you know, are they using products like No Before and other similar products that actually training educate users and test yeah. users on their functional day-to-day um, -day operations that they don't get a ransomware infection to begin with? Uh, so I'm going to, not push back or argue with you persona necessarily with the comment. I, comp I, I, I agree. And yet as a backup guy, I'm saying, well, at least somebody's looking after the backups yeah. no. because yeah, yeah. so many, so much of the anti ransomware and malware efforts is all on the online stuff and no one's paying any attention to the backups, which is something that, yeah. you know, we talk about a lot on this podcast yeah. where we're saying, hey, they are coming for your backups or they're directly attacking your backup system. It's a starting point, right? My, my only thing when I look at it is like, well, it would be nice if organizations who weren't financial organizations could, could get a similar level of attention to their backup environment, right? Um, and they specifically say, you're only welcome to join and get certification if you're a financial institution. Um, and I'm like, hey, you know, there's a, I don't know, a couple of hundred other industries I can think of that could really benefit <laughs> from that as well. I there's was... nothing stopping the um, other industries from using the framework that Sheltered Harbor has. Right. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the certification. Right now, it is just a financial industry. Um, 
you know, they may extend that out at some point in the future. Um, that would be up to them. Yeah. And who, and who is, is that, them, by the way? Sheltered Harbor. No, 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 I know um, you meant Sheltered Harbor, but there are people who, where, where do these people work? Are they, are they, do they work for Sheltered Harbor? Do they work for banks? And this is like their side gig. What, you know, cause. Yeah. I, I don't get into that. So I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I believe that they're an independent organization outside of the banking industry that's assisting the banking industry. Um, reading their backstory, they came from the banking industry and financial right. industries. Oh, uh, this says it's actually a nonprofit subsidiary of FS Isaac. So that's the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center for those of you that don't live banking world <laughs> um, and devoted to the coordinating the development of the sheltered harbor standard i like that um is there a framework available online do you know or do I've, you have to sign I've been, up i've been scrolling them? around i didn't see the framework anywhere right so you have to become one of their clients to okay. get all of the requirements um in place um the oems have those requirements um so that you know they can tell you what it is but when you apply for membership, then you're going to get the actual certification requirements to go and check the boxes. See, this is so, what annoys me, though, is that it's like, this is a great framework. We want everyone to use this. I know they want the financials, but it's broadly applicable. And yet you have to jump through all these hoops just to even try to get to see the list of, hey, what's there? Yeah, so I'm going to well, I'm going to have to disagree with what you said earlier Eric when you said there's nothing stopping them from implementing the standard. Uh yeah, it is. They don't even can't even <laughs> find out what the standard is. If they well, can't join. Right on their website, they tell you that you need to implement a data vault and that you have to have a resiliency plan in place. Right. Um, or or I would say that you could work with the company like Presidio right? Who knows right. these standards and who's providing a more holistic thing, right? So yeah, it is possible. Right. Yeah, it is possible. But it's not as easy for anyone to be like, hey, what is there? Right? right. I think that's my problem is it shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> and, and yeah, right. I don't think it's secret per se. I, I agree with you, Eric. I mean, I'm looking, they have like why sheltered harbor and they, they've got a nice little page on the, the different stuff. Um, I don't know, maybe the, somewhere between where they are and I don't know. I, I don't know why they would, I, I think maybe there could be a, these are the 20 things you need to do. I think they're giving a high level plan. Perhaps they could do a low level plan. Perhaps they could say, Hey, you can't join, but Hey, for hundred bucks, you could have the, whatever, whatever it is we're missing. Um, but, uh, or maybe we're not missing that much. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know right. what we don't know. Um, yeah, but it, I applaud the I applaud the effort to make backups more resilient, uh, and to and to also what I'm seeing here is the resiliency plan. That's what it's really about, right? It's it's almost less about what backup product that you use. It is definitely about how you use it, right? Um, but it's about right. what earlier we had this discussion about how are we going to, with the different scenarios that you, you that you've got in terms of infection and encryption and what decisions are you going to make? That's what you need to discuss up front, right? Okay. We've got AWS, we've got VMware, we've got physical machines. We got these kind of application servers. We've got a file server. Here's what we need to make the decision up front what we're going right. to do with all those various things, right? Given their different. Well, exactly. And in part of their framework, they talk about an incident management plan. Yeah. You know, do you have an incident response process? Um, and it, it can be as simple as, you know, filling out a service now ticket and um, either an automated or a manual process kicks off a, a security restore, um, as we call it here. Um, which is different than your operational or disaster recovery right. re restore of your application. Following that incident response plan, you know, calling the insurance carrier, hey, so-and-so, 
was infected. It took down this specific system. We are in the process of recovering it. And they know from their incident response plan that they have to have that current system isolated so that it can be investigated for future forensics. Yeah. Um, a, a proper communications plan, who's talking to who, who's making decisions, um, you know, how are you going to get back to normal operations? Because if you fail over to that isolated recovery environment, eventually that's going to cost you more money than you would like. So how do you bring that back into your production environment, which may be on-prem in your uh, IRE, your integrated uh, <laughs> recovery environment, could be up in AWS. Um, are you testing your backups? Something that many of my customers don't do regularly. Um, I wish they would, but um, they're not testing their environment to verify that one, are their backups good, but are they operationally valid? Um, not just, I have my Exchange server or SQL server backed up, but I'm able to bring <laughs> it back up, test it with your Active Directory, verify ports are functional, verify that I'm able to send and receive messages, and then shut it down as this is a valid restore point. It, right. So having that um, resiliency plan in place, I think is probably the more important part of having sheltered harbor certification than just the data vault. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. is a lot of this I'm guessing is automated as well, right? Because I can't imagine doing this sort of verification and recovery processes in a periodic fashion, like given the scale of some of this data? Well, some of the products that are offered, yeah. such as uh, VMware's Cloud Disaster Recovery or Cohesity's Fort Knox or um, Rubrics um, solution um, that they call a Cloud Vault, actually automate that testing for you. They can actually spin up an environment from time to time and validate those solutions in place in their cloud which is isolated, validate the solution, and then shut it back down again, not costing you any money. So there are solutions like that. The Dell solution, it, it's something that you would have to manually spin up. You could probably automate that process. Um, but even products like Veeam that by itself couldn't achieve this, they have the solution built in with their data labs functionality to automate the testing of backups. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and I would be remiss to, if I, if I didn't say that Druva has a, has a similar capability. Um, the, the question, the, um, I'm just, it's just, this is such a, I, I think the biggest thing is we need to have this discussion up front. <laughs> so many people, they wait until they get that ransomware attack and and then they have and then they have the meeting right they're like oh yeah we got we got good backups we got it we got it in the cloud right we got a copy in the cloud or we got you know whatever it is that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing and even if they've got a uh, an air gapped copy if they're not having this discussion up front uh, of how are we going to do what what are we going to do like you you know you you talked about Eric quite a bit about like who's going to make who makes the decision? Who talks to whom? Who communicates to the to the stakeholders? All of those things. Um, Curtis? If you if you don't have that plan set in advance, uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a really bad day, um, and you're going to have you know I I, I hate to look at we, we won't use the we won't use their name but who do you want to pick on yeah you, who do you, you want know, to pick on today <laughs> well okay maybe I'll throw their name out Rockspace right you look at you look at what Rackspace did when when they had their outage, then they tested their recovery plan. And it was three weeks before they got the first uh, exchange server up and running. And, you know, and because they had made oh. the quick, uh, and I'm not even saying whether a decision is wrong or right, but the fact that they had made the decision to go over to Microsoft 365 because exchange was down, and then, and then they restored the exchange servers and it took them two to three weeks to get the exchange servers up. And then it's like, okay, well, how do we get the, 
the email out of these exchange servers over to 365. Oh, well, the only way we can do that now is PSTs. It, it just felt like the whole thing was shooting from the hip the entire time. And this was never planned. Um, if it was planned, uh, not a good plan. Poor planning. Um, <laughs> yeah. Poor planning. Well, I, so yeah, you just got to have that. You just got to have that decision up front. Um, yeah, I can't and I know, say I'm sure you agree with that. was now, but when I worked at Rackspace many years ago, they, they had a plan that was more valid. Mm. <clears throat> um, things have changed maybe over time yeah things have changed since i i left there I, I was on the sales side of things and i was able to talk about their operational and disaster recovery processes that they had in place because at the time it managed hosted exchange was one of their main features since then microsoft 365 has been stealing their market share um and obviously because of this event they didn't have a well-documented process. Yeah. Um, and my wife was actually affected by that. <laughs> it, it was, Oh no. Fun. Yeah. It was not fun for her company for a couple of weeks. Oof. Well, hopefully they got their emails back. <clears throat> um, they're still working on it is my understanding. Oh man. That is crazy. It's been like two months almost. Yeah, there. Um, she had to manually type in calendar entries um, for the majority of. Oh her my gosh! Crazy. All right. Well, uh, we're starting to have technical issues, so I need to shut this puppy down. But it sounds like you know, we we all agree that this is something that people should do, whether they're financial institution or not. They should look at these requirements. Like the, definitely the air gap copy and uh, and and testing and decision making and planning way up front specifically for a cyber recovery plan, not a disaster recovery plan, because you know it's a, it's a very very different thing. Well, um, yes. I'm sitting here in the blind, and so I'm going to thank Eric for joining us today. All right, thank you. And Brisana, thanks for, uh, I don't know what to say with this technical problems that we're having today, but thanks for being here. <laughs> yeah, I, anytime, Curtis. And thanks, Eric, for teaching me something new that I'd never heard about before. I'm going to have to go look up Sheltered Harbor. All right. Thank you. Thank <laughs> and you thanks to our listeners. Uh, we would be nothing without you. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. Good.